it's about a couple that is divorcing but they get transformed into dolls of their child and then they have to like escape their house but their house kind of like comes alive like the vacuum tries to kill them it's kind of like an evil uh version of toy story mixed with my the bravest toaster situation okay it's kind of intense there was a game called army of two where it was a two-person very different game yeah very different your mercenaries (laughs) and you're killing everybody right so they they had a better couple relationship in army of two than they do and uh it takes two (laughs) but anyways all right that's not what brings us here today hello and welcome to red raccoon radio your premier source for bloomington tabletop board games rpgs and a bevy of other geek related sundries wow good word score thank you Pulled Bevy in. I went into Word. I started typing things in, trying to get up to that fifth grade reading level. (laughs) For those of you that have been with us for a while, you know that this is our podcast where we talk about what's going on not only in the Red Raccoon store located in the lovely Bloomington, Illinois, but also about news and things that are happening in the communities where we like to play. Uh, And with me today is Jamie, store owner. Hello, everybody. And introducing herself for the first time as well as her specialities is... Oh, my name is Ariel. It's lovely to be here. Hi, Ariel. What are you good at in the store? What is your... When somebody comes in, what is the questions that you're hoping to answer? Well, I'm hoping they go straight back to the tabletop RPG section or uh, get entrapped by the dice case. It is a DC-12 con save. Most people tend to pass, but a couple do fail, and I live for that moment. (laughs) That... is an amazing joke. <laughs> you get points for that one. Thank you. Um, yeah. Ariel is RPGs. She loves them, especially the indie RPGs. The, you know, you, you run a mean D&D game, but, you know, everything else, I'm like, I don't even know what's happening in this one. And Ariel's like, hold on, let me tell you what's going on here. There's some deep stuff that people get into in those those third-party publishers. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate every year. Is it the 150-word RPG contest? Oh yes. Um, are we gonna? Should we do one of those in the store? Like, I feel like that would be a great content generator. Um, we could try. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. So there's a contest every year. I'm gonna double check on the numbers while I'm talking about it. But basically, it is a contest to write an RPG using a limited amount of words. Really? So yeah, the whole it's entire like a four sentence horror story or whatever. Pretty That's a much. Good analogy, yeah. Okay. So then it. You're limited. You can submit it. It can be whatever themes that you want, uh, but it has to have everything from the setting to the rules how to play to pretty much anything that is would be incorporated within a player's guide in a certain set of words. I'm going to check to see because 150 sounds pretty small. Like that's pretty low, right? Maybe it's 1,000, but I, I've definitely thought about submitting some of the contests but I tend to go grim dark is this like wait 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 is this is this a trap is this like why did you create some like this (laughs) excuse me it's the 200 word RPG challenge that's still not a lot of words it even convey a setting in 200 words I will say that I have looked at a few of them I actually have heard an actual play of one of them that was actually fantastic uh, on the one shot podcast network okay someday I pray that this somehow reaches James D'Amato and he is able to come down because he's just in Chicago he should come down he's wrote a bunch of the books that you actually sell in the store Uh, yeah um but uh it was they did this kind of post-apocalyptic world they left out a bunch of the setting they left out a bunch of like necessary word unnecessary words so instead of the like there's a wolf bat is one of the enemies that you can roll like on a random generator and it's the line is wolf bat and it's semicolon wolf bat 
And that's the description of the wolf pack. <laughs> and that's how they cut around it. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. So then it's up to Just you. Up as... to you to fill in with your imagination. What does a wolf bat look like? Exactly. As the D and D, as the DM, or is as it the just player. a really furry bat, or that howls as it flies, or is, is it, it a, a wolf with bat wings? That's where I lend towards. But in the actual play, they they functioned really well with it, and it's more about what is the unique concept that you're coming up with, less about how the minutia of the rules can create a, a balanced experience okay. right along those lines. So that's excellent. I already have a thought for I have no mouth and I must scream and just oh, turn my. that into I'm sorry, this has now become an X-rated podcast for bringing up that topic. That is oh, a no, I'm not horrible on story. It. It's a great story. Do not Wikipedia that. It's fantastic. It's awful. You're missing out. There's so much sadness. You're wrong, but I respect your opinion. <laughs> I appreciate that. And that's what we do here on the podcast. What we also do here is talk about what's going on in the store for the past few weeks. Obviously, a bunch. Yeah. So it's the holiday season. You're finally on the other end of it. How was we your experience? We have survived. Uh, it, was, it was a good season. We... we made a lot of people happy. We saw a lot of first-time customers that have never been in the store before. Um, and we have no idea why they have never been in the store before. We have no idea what brought them in the first time. Um, we, we attacked this Christmas season a little differently than we have in the past where I gave Brittany a lot more... Um, uh, a lot more resources to go at marketing because Brittany does most of our social media marketing. And so she, we had billboards running. We had, we put out a Christmas catalog this year. We've talked about that in the past. Um, we ran some radio commercials on the NPR station. We, we tried to figure out more ways to reach, um, uh, muggles be a good word to non-gamers right um, I love it I love it and, and and really kind of reach out to them to say we exist we're here come downtown and check it out and then we we ran with it and 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 people did and so um, I think that we are continuing to get the word out that gaming is for everybody and not just for I mean we're all obviously hardcore gamers ourselves but but we want to share the hobby with everybody else and um, so it was good. It was a good season. At the end of the season, we the store got racked by illness. Um, we had a stomach bug that went through right before Christmas that took me out, and uh, we lost a couple other people for a couple days. And we think that originated with one of the children of the employees. And then just as I finally got back on my feet, I mean, Kelly even posted a picture of like the saddest Christmas plate of food ever because um, things were not staying in. Um, so I, I just wanted to taste everything, but I didn't dare eat a lot of food on Christmas. Finally, I started feeling better and came back to the store just in time to, I, I think I worked all day Monday after Christmas and then uh, Monday night started not feeling great and uh, woke up Tuesday with the worst sore throat I've ever had. It felt like just burning every time I swallowed. So I didn't go in on Tuesday and sure enough, tested positive for COVID with the Omicron variant. And so we lost a few people to that. There was a couple days we, we just closed the day. Uh, January 2nd, we didn't even open. 
uh, we give everybody a day to stay home and try to get healthier. And then January 3rd, we're like, do we have enough people to open the store? Is everybody, how's people feeling? Ariel, of course, rock star. She's like, I feel fine. I'm like the only one that doesn't have any symptoms of anything. So that was good. And yeah, so uh, so yeah, here we are. We finally got everybody healthy just in time to shut down for inventory. Let's Ooh. find some wood to make sure that's knocked upon before we make that statement. Yeah, right here behind me. Good call. <laughs> Not going to break there. Now, Ariel, if I yes. remember correctly, this is your first Christmas with Red Raccoon. Is that it correct? It is. Yes. And no. What was your experience? Uh, it was really, really busy, but I was like, like stealing myself to say, okay, this is retail. It's just like, people are going to be super mean to me and I'm going to be emotionally prepared. I'm not going to cry in front. I'll go into the back room if I have to cry. And actually, everyone was super fantastic. They were like really patient with us. We did constant restocking, which is my favorite thing to do. I'm a downstairs basement goblin that just drags things up. You have so many goblins. Is that required on the <laughs> application? The application okay, yeah. It's better. not required, but it tends to be that people who want to goblin out about something tend to gravitate to us. That's fair. So it's it's more that you're just an equal opportunity goblin employer. Yes. I think that's a safe way to I mean, say I'm it. I'm tall enough to qualify as a hobgoblin yet. I mean, I, I think I might have to... Get those bonus stats. Like, Fury of the Small is nice, but yes. you can do better. No, definitely can. Uh, was it Safe Face from 5th Edition? It's just like, oh no, the other goblins. I can't show my weakness. I can't let them know I'm actually sniffing the dice. I don't sniff the dice, guys. They're clean. <laughs> That was way too fast in being said. We're going to skip over that. Jamie might need to have words with you later. However, I buy the dice, I sniff, Jamie. It's okay. As long as you're sniffing your own dice, who cares? I feel like this is a very specific like website somewhere that we don't need to discuss. I will say that is good news, though, that you, you had a, a solitary Christmas of, yeah, no. of joy and mirth and not retail fatigue. No, it's like 99% of the customers in our account are phenomenal. It's just like, you know, I've had worse customer service experience as a non-customer-facing entity. It's just like, oh, this is nice. I feel like Red Raccoon must be a, a unique place to buy from in the fact that you know you're buying joy. Like, you're buying yeah. games, you're buying fun. It's not like you're buying vacuums or appliances or I don't know what to get my dad so I'll get I mean, him a we gift even card. say a lot our, our unofficial slogan is we sell fun <laughs> right right so it's not it's not like um, it's not like someplace like every time I go down to the advanced auto parts something is wrong that has caused me to go to advanced auto parts right exactly you know I, I'm sure that my dad and my brother are probably the people that that find joy of going to the auto parts mm -hmm. store but when I go there something has gone bad at this point we do sell something that is wrong here, though. I know, because I bought it. Because it had uh, David Lynch on it, which probably tells you about my taste in gaming. We um, already heard about I Have No Mouth of... Harlan Ellison is a wonderful author. Well, I don't know about personal, Skipping over, yes. going back, David Lynch. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, this little uh, deck of card games, little uh, pre-G section. I think we still have one copy left, unless somebody weaseled it out while I was gone. I would check that. But, you know, it's a fun little um, card game where something is wrong here. It gives you various cues. Uh, you kind of have to build your background story in it. Honestly, probably would have found out of 10, I bought it because I love dark, creepy things. And if you put a couple of my favorite, um, I'll call them artist name on it, I will inevitably buy it. I label almost everything I buy as Ariel's return to paychecks. Which is not a joke. <laughs> I think there's many employees that have told me that they just recycle money pretty much within Red Raccoon. It's almost embezzlement. So close. Because um, they just end up buying exactly what they get from their paycheck. So... I can't control what people do with their money after they get paid. That is exactly what a godfather would say. 
<laughs> just gonna say that out loud. I'm not gonna try and report you to anyone, but if someone does listen and happen to be part of a... No, I'm just kidding. That's fine. Let's not get into trouble. Well, I, I noticed Raven was wearing um, her hoodie dress from Critical Role today. Yes. Um, that uh, they just arrived at the store a week ago, and Ryan had her hoodie dress on yesterday, and there's more Critical Role clothing apparel on the way that is all special order for... And I think all of it is special order for employees. <laughs> and I think I think Ariel might have been in on the some of the critical role stuff. <laughs> I see that face over there. On Wednesday we wear critical role merch. Also on Monday, Tuesday through Sunday. Understood. Any day said it, then why? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife does watch Critical Role, and I am, I usually watch the very beginning before I just have to conk out. She, she's more of a trooper about it. And I am always shocked that at the beginning of every episode, they have new merch almost every single week. And it's beanies, pajama pants, and it's just incredible the, the powerhouse that they have become for the trinket pins. We keep selling out of over and over again. Trinket, of course, being the bear. The bear. The, and uh, trinket pins keep selling out. Have to keep restocking those. So, yeah, and Critical Role Dice, super popular. I will say that, uh, just to spread out some love, Matt Mercer was on another actual live playcast on another program called Dimension 20, which yeah. is on Dropout. And there was a creature in his campaign that he played in that he said that he thought was the best magical pet ever. And then very quickly had to say, other than Trinket, I would never, never speak against Trinket because he knows that Trinket is a is a money horse for them in Critical Role. But it was yeah. close, he said. I, I, I haven't. I don't know that I've actually made it through an entire episode of Critical Role. <laughs> Much like you, I, I start watching them and then my ADD takes me somewhere else. But I've read all of the comic book content that they put out, the graphic novels, and, and I enjoy those quite a bit. So that's my... I know about the origin stories of all the characters, but I don't know what actually happens during the... We're on season three now? Yes. So I've got all the origin stories down for everybody, but I, I have no idea what actually happens in the course of the seasons. Well, there's good news for that, because this year, and I believe they just moved up the date uh, to January 28th, is the animated season of Critical Role. I backed out it. Of Moss. Yep, okay. I backed it. It's nice. going to be in, a, well, I think it's streaming on Amazon, isn't it? Correct. Well, oh, yeah. I might not have backed it if I'd known that, but, but I did back it because... Well, I wanted to make sure it happened. Yeah, originally they were, I think, just going to do like some short movies, but they made too much money to just do that. It and kept I think, going. Yeah. And it kept going, and it kept going. I think it's one of the most successful Kickstarters ever on Kickstarter at this point. And I, uh, I wanted to make sure it got made because this is the kind of stuff that um, helps support our geek culture that we live inside of, right? And I, that, and you know, a new D and D movie getting made um, that does not start. Chris Pratt, and oh, yeah. <laughs> I <worked> there. <laughs> in case you, in our podcast, Ariel, mm -hmm. we've had a Chris Pratt minute where we usually have to talk about Chris Pratt once per episode. I love the 1999 Dungeon Dragon movie as a masterpiece. The, the Jeremy Irons one? Yes. Where he's the bad guy? Yes. Yes. It's a masterpiece of something. It, it is. It is. Something I did every morning before 9 a.m. Love it. <laughs> Yes, so uh, 
Critical Role streaming. Critical Role, the new, uh, and I'm going to say this wrong, is it Taldori? Yes, the Taldori Reborn, which should release, I believe it was at the 18th. 18th. I, I just ordered it the other day. I pre-ordering it. It's like, hey, do you want this book? Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to be, we are a Critical Role slash Darrington Press Guild member store, so we are going to have the book on release day when, and we're probably the only one in Central Illinois that's going to have it. So we are. I think next house is Downers Grove or something like that. Yeah, there's a store in Chicagoland that's also Darrington Press as well, and so it's. Just, I think that it's a, only two for the entire state of Illinois is them and us, and we will have that book on release day. And I know that um, a bunch of people already had their pre-orders in, including Ryan and Ariel. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that'll be it'll be fun. And then there's another Critical Role book later this year, too. There's The Call of Netherdeep, yes. which is an official five Dungeons & Dragons 5e setting book, and that comes out in March, I think? Yes. It does. Yeah, so it's, it's good. It's and fun. That's the one that's supposed to be looking at some of the more eviler races and kind of giving them a... The, from the Underdark, and giving them a bit more of a fleshed-out polish, correct? I think so. Because I've, I've seen some clips from it. Uh, the Druggers are getting some more uh, robust backstory. I think that uh, the Drow are supposed to... Is that one... I believe you were talking a few weeks ago, Jamie, about uh, that there's going to be colonies of Drow that don't follow the Spider Queen. Exactly. Exactly. So um, there was a ton of errata that uh, Dungeons and Dragons made to a bunch of books trying to be more uh, culturally sensitive. And they have taken a bunch of uh, the stance that there is no longer going to be races that are evil just because of who they are. You know, goblins, orcs, um, drow, beholders, dragons, um, that they're, because they're the race they're evil, they're, they're making the move to say that the culture is what makes them evil, not the race. And so we have the drow with the most famous uh, setting being Mesobranzin, which is where uh, Drizzt came from, from all those novels that uh, R.A. Salvatore wrote. And the culture there and following Loth the Spider Queen makes them evil there. However, we're going to see settings this year where we have cultures where they have broken away from Loth and they no longer follow her. And so they worship and follow other gods. And so their culture has shifted away from the straight up bad, evil juju that was Mesobranzin. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in some of the future books, too. Um, you know, especially, you know, there was the, uh, the books centered around the Thousand Orc War and things like that. It'll be interesting to see how all this plays out in some of the future storylines that we're going to see. I just want time for my girl, Elastrali, to shine. No one knows who she is, and I make it all my players' problem to know who she is. Okay, please go on. Oh, Teach the world to at least oh. the 17 people that listen to this. Well, a quick Google search. I cannot really describe Elastrali. She is a drag daughter. She is the... I believe the daughter of Lolf and Corellon uh, before the split. Uh, she ended up kind of getting banished. She is the drow goddess of, I believe, um, blade work of dance and moonlight. She is often pictured dancing in front of the full moon 
in the buff, which is not really relevant detail, but just to warn if people. It's important to you. It's important to us. Warn people of the Google image shirts there. That's right. But she is a good aligned drow goddess, and she does have little enclaves of kind of drow who have been usually exiled from the greater society uh she is fantastic she doesn't get a whole lot of love but that is usually one of the first places where players might happen to stop along their journey it's like i want to be a drow because i'm dark and mysterious and also i want a panther everyone wants a panther everyone wants a panther who doesn't want a panther uh but it gives it a nice little out it's like oh i can still be a drow and still kind of go along the traditional lore without having to be a jerk filled jerk with jerk filling double filled jerk double stuffed actually yeah because we when i was god it's probably been 15 20 years ago now a buddy of mine they put out for third edition they put out a meza brands and box set i just got in the mail the other day sorry i was really excited <laughs> it's okay. the audio on the the podcast will need to be adjusted for that so i apologize sorry. if i just blew out anyone's eardrums <laughs> well we and so you play as the drow living in meza brands and it was, it was really dark and we didn't we played for maybe five or six mm-hmm. months and kind of nobody was comfortable with how violent it it really was because the oh it's messed up yeah the culture of Meza Branson is just so backstabby and and everything and there's nothing positive anywhere and and we kind of I don't know my group of friends we kind of got burned out and stopped playing because well, let's just go and do something where we save the princess or something a little happier look there's a culture that's like you know everyone that watches serial killer documentaries gets like really into it that is like a parallel line to the people who really like men's friends and it's just like yes tell me what they did with the toolbox I will say that my favorite uh, underdark concept that's been brought to a game probably is the board game tyrants of the underdark Mm -hmm. because i feel like that's just enough lore to kind of get you in and understand the world and the creatures that exist in it but it's not going to take you so far that you feel like a little dirtier for knowing more information about the underdark and that's the line that i really like to follow yeah i I could see that it's um yeah because i mean i don't know i I, it's interesting it's going to be interesting to see how this this plays out across all the various properties right because I mean, if you look at like a Ravenloft scenario, you know, some of those creatures in the various, from the new Ravenloft books that came out, some of those creatures are just straight up bad, right? And so if, depending on which one of those realms you stumble into, you know, is Strahd evil or is he a tortured soul or is it, I mean, or is it he's tortured soul became evil or, you know, how all this kind of plays in and the ways that that people shape and choose how to play their games could be um, really interesting to see too. And I I think that ultimately my favorite part about any role-playing game system is that the players have the agency to do what they want. And I think that this change gives them more of that agency because you don't have to be an evil character to, mm-hmm. to do this anymore. You don't have to play this way. You could choose to, but you don't have to do that. So, I don't know. It'll be fun. We'll see how it plays out. RPGs are about choices. That's the whole entire point of it. Yes. And, well, sometimes the choices get limited. And, um, you know, it's interesting that you, you brought in the the, uh, the serial killer documentaries. because uh, uh, So Kelly and I quarantined at home for 10 days. And what did Kelly do the entire time is uh, she's hanging out on the couch watching uh, murder documentaries and serial killer documentaries until I said something. And she's <laughs> like, 
yeah, I have been watching a lot of these. And then she watched, switched over and watched, uh, you know, 70s um, rock musician documentaries and stuff. Jamie, if you disappear, we will look for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm afraid that she knows every way that somebody else got caught, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, the disturbing part, too. That's why they said, like, uh, there was a stat that the main demographic for shows like Law & Order and CSI is, like, 40-something-year-old women who they don't have time in their lives to watch a full series of something. They can want to watch one episode of it, and they really get into these crime dramas. That tracks. Speaking of things that make us feel just a little bit more closer to the darkness, I did want to transition our comments over to the world of Warhammer 40K. Which Grim for, dark future. 40,000 years in the future. future. And like Ariel, uh, was we wondering earlier, how you were going to get there. That was well done. <laughs> it was taking some time. Like, I really set myself up the first time we tried to record this podcast, but this one was a little bit easier. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I've always loved the lore of 40K, but actually understanding its release date and how things are updated has been a challenge. I don't know if you feel the same way, Ariel. I feel like it gets updated every five cents. It's like, didn't you just pre-order this? Not that I don't want you to live your best life, but all right. <laughs> exactly. It, it's whatever you want. That's fine. But I just never feel like uh, I will watch the lore and occasionally something big will happen in the lore. And I'm like, what actually caused this? Because I did not read a book about it or anything along those lines. But it seems like Warhammer 40K is trying to make a merge towards a more structure for their narrative with the release of seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So much like you might see a season's pass in a video game or you might see seasons in some of the more MMOs, it seems that Warhammer is looking towards creating a, a set time period of there's going to be new lore and new content for this season that will set up the next upcoming season, building a little bit every year in, in these timed exclusives, which, Jamie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like a big departure from what they've done in the past. No, a huge departure from what they've done in the past. And um, Warhammer lore and Dungeons and Dragons lore, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw the symbolism there, have done very similar things in that Every time they've changed editions, there has been in the lore some sort of a cataclysmic event. And, you know, um, for instance, like going from Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 to 4th edition was the Spell Plague, right? Um, from 4 to 5 was the the War the war of the Dragons, right? In the first book, The Rage of the Dragons and Tiamat came out was 5th edition. And uh, Warhammer has followed a very similar path in that there has been some cataclysmic event in the books that has happened. Even when they shut down Warhammer Fantasy and went to Age of Sigmar, there was kind of this cataclysmic end of the world as we know it um, the, the world has dissolved and we have rebooted back into an older age um, for Age of Sigmar and so they've, they've done that every few years and this, the story um, that's part of what you're getting when you buy the new edition rule book is to kind of find out the lore of what's happened so when I bought the store in 2014 we were just at the going from 6 to 7, 6th edition the seventh edition and then you know now we're we're in the transition where we're all the new books are coming out for ninth edition right now so um and it they they a lot of it is you've got the cataclysmic of uh, changes in the lore itself but then you also it's also the opportunity that they do to take do a rebalancing of the armies because um 
every time they've done it, they have rolled out new armies, new codexes for each one of the factions, and those codexes have a point value in there that's assigned to every unit type. The point being is like, John, if you're going to play Space Marines and I'll take Tyranids and Ariel, you're going to play the Tau. Mm-hmm. Um, when they bring out the new books, they rebalance everything. We get some new models that are introduced to go along with the lore and the storylines. And then hopefully, if we all agree, we're going to play a 1,500-point game. Everybody brings models to the table and nobody just gets destroyed, right? It should be a, a roughly balanced game that comes down to the skill of the player and a little bit of the luck of the dice rolls as we go along. Um, the problem that they've run into in the past is that one, it takes a really long time to get the updated books out to everybody because they were rolling the books out one, maybe one per month or one every other month. And I don't even know how many factions they're up to now. At least 16 different codex books, you know, something of that nature. And so um, invariably, okay, Ariel is playing Tau right now. Well, there is not a ninth edition Tau book out yet. So, so you're put it on the sidelines until something else comes. Exactly. And so um, when they rolled out um, Age of Sigmar 2nd Edition, they changed something, and instead of putting out a new book uh, for a codex with new points for every faction, they put out a book called The General's Handbook. And The General's Handbook was a book that said, here are all the point values for every faction for every army in the kind of the more fantasy setting. And then they put out another one the next year and another one the next year. So then instead of waiting for a whole new edition, they were updating and fixing and errating as they went along and rebalancing every year with that book. Ninth edition, they've done the same thing. There's a, it's called chapter approved and the chapter approved book has the point values. So now the codexes, they can focus more on the lore and the unit types and stuff in the codexes of where they fit into the greater world. Um, and then, the, but it wasn't as reliant on having the codex to get the point values out. And now, with this announcement they just made of seasons, now they can put more of this. You know, I, I think that GW is working on this bigger integrated strategy of how does. We have a Warhammer animated series coming out. Yep. There are rumors of Warhammer movie. We've got Warhammer comics that have been out for a while. We've got a Warhammer Magic the Gathering commander set coming out later in 2020. 2022. Sorry, we're in 2022 now. And now we've got this. uh, We've always had the video games, right? There's a plethora of those. uh, Warhammer Dawn of War is one of my favorite RTS series. Um, Space Marine and Space Marine 2 is coming out that they just announced. Looks amazing. Vermintide. uh, Total Warhammer. Total War Warhammer games. Those are super popular people. And I feel like they're trying to look at this total experience of what's going on. And so now we've got almost... 40 years of lore of Warhammer. I think Warhammer, the first books came out in 83, I want to say. Wow. I think it was 83. So we're coming up on 40 years of Warhammer, and now we're moving into, the, I think, this bigger storytelling mode where um, every six months a new season's going to start. It's going to be, and I, I, I think that we're going to see that all these various properties, the comics, the stories, the novels, there's, God, I don't even know how many novels there are for Warhammer now. The minis coming out are all going to tie together. I think that's what they're moving to is a total experience and a total immersive world of, of syncing everything together. 
And I know that's always been a hard balance to do with not only Warhammer, but with D&D and with a lot of properties that we see inside the board game shop is you want to give just enough lore to prompt people, but you don't want to write the story for them. Mm-hmm. And you want to give them the freedom to explore in this world. So you've always got to find that balance of giving them just enough to keep going on their own. Yeah. And now that I think that we've seen, especially going back to... Uh, critical role and them making their own animated series a bunch of other people are saying okay we can develop more media more lore and it's not going to necessarily hinder people's experience they want to have a complete story within this world while still creating their own um yeah and i think a lot of properties have done a really good job of saying here are these stories that have happened but then there's all this unexplored space over here too, where you can run and do your own thing. Even things like, you know, Ariel had mentioned that she loves the Call of Cthulhu setting. Um, there are definite storylines and novels that have been written in the Cthulhu kind of of, of space of uh, history and, and, and lore and, and culture that goes along with Cthulhu that doesn't really stop anyone from creating their own scenarios and their own content mm-hmm. inside of there. Even games like Octoon Cthulhu, right, which mm-hmm. was set, a Cthulhu game set in World War II times. Mm-hmm. The Nazis, uh, kind of Indiana Jones, where the Nazis were going after trying to bring the dark gods forward and stuff. Um, there's so much stuff that's been written out there, but it's never stopped anybody from making a game and playing inside of those worlds. And I think that's kind of what Warhammer's doing at this mm-hmm. point. Absolutely. I will say, just in my personal preference, I've spoken about Monster Apocalypse before on this podcast, uh, and I feel like that is one of the detriments to that game, is that they have given up on the lore. Uh, You will get little tidbits for each unit that maybe you can piece together one or two clues from, but when they first came out, especially with this new edition, they had these narratives that they would write about the coming of all of these different monsters and what started it and how they interacted with each other. And there's a beautiful narrative of how the planet eaters, which is the main bad guys, you might say in the starter box, uh, fell to earth and they destroyed, I believe it was either Chicago or Indianapolis and how quickly they had to create the giant robots known as guard to come and combat them and how unit like, There were two great robots, and one of them fell, and it was so narratively driven, it seemed. And now it just seems like they're pumping out so many units and so many different different factions that they can't keep up with the lore. So they've just kind of abandoned it. And it makes me jealous to see Dungeons & Dragons now exploring the multiverse and saying, you know, all these amazing things are possible. Even if this isn't your game, this can still be happening somewhere else, as well as now Warhammer with, we're going to do these seasons where we're going to just advance the story just a little bit to give you a bit more of a nudge. Yeah. Um, This season we're going to play on this, you know, the the first season that they announced, it's going to be that uh, one of the human planets that is... God, was, was it Antares, I think? I I don't I read the article earlier. Um, is going to be back in play, and it would give um, the, the, the Necrons access to all the human space 
if mm-hmm. they win. So the battle for this planet is where the kind of season, the first season of this is going to take place for. And so you'll be able to actually play out and there'll be new units that are brought forward and you'll be able to play this storyline to see which way, how does it shape as it goes forward. That's amazing. And it would be cool too to see if maybe maybe they do some stuff like, um, you know, Adepticon is probably the biggest minis convention in North America. It happens in, in, in Chicagoland. And it'd be cool to see them do like some massive tournament that shapes that whatever happens in that tournament shapes the future of the next season going forward. That'd be cool, kind of cool because Legends of the Five Rings, the card game was originally famous for big tournament happens and whatever faction wins gets to help dictate the future storyline of the game. It'd be really interesting to see Warhammer do these massive tournaments as well and then have that shape the future seasons going forward as well. That'd be kind of cool. Absolutely. I know that there's been Dungeons and Dragons games mm-hmm. at certain events as well, correct? That kind of do the same thing? Uh, I believe so. I kind of got lost in tangents like, I hope the Hedon Knights of Slanesh do not win that one. Even though I run an <laughs> army, it's just like, oh, I keep those in a shoebox underneath my bed when they're not in play. <laughs> they're shamed. But yeah. I know that at, at, I believe it's Gen Con, they have events where... They're called epics. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Where multiple people are playing kind of the same scenario, but they are all building towards a one inevitable conclusion. Yeah, usually um, when an epic is played, it's every table in the in the hall is playing the same game. And they, they have check-in points where the DMs check in to see what's happening, and that affects what happens for the rest of that game. Or there's multiple sessions. In session one, what happens? happens there dictates what happens in session two for every table which then dictates what happens in session three for every table a lot of them are multi-part it's pretty cool pretty cool way to play knowing that what happens at your table affects every other table i think i've seen a small trophy with the d20 on the 20 side that said this won a significant event at some point in time and in one of those epics so yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool way to do that, to let the players help dictate the future storyline going forward. That's pretty cool, too. And, and Magic's doing the same thing, too, right? Because we, now we have a Magic the Gathering Netflix uh, anime coming forward this year, too, I think. Yep. I don't know when the release date is exactly, but it's sometime this year. And Magic has, you know, the storyline in Magic has advanced through the years. And it's, it's written in such a way of there's four, five, six different... Um, I call them short stories or novellas that that come out that kind of tell you what's happening with the Battle of the Planeswalkers on this new realm each time. And it's it's been more short form. And now with this animated series, if it's popular, could be taken that a different direction too. The success of League of Legends Arcane on Netflix, I think, has been another huge boon to that as well of taking something that has loose lore and making it into a cohesive story so yeah and and engaging players i mean that's that's a lot of what we do as a store is we are trying to engage people where they want to be and and bring content to them and bring things to them that make them happy speaking of the future of store and making sure they have you have things to bring to make them happy uh ariel Yes. As I understand it, this next week is going to be your first time at inventory at Red Raccoon as well. Oh, yes. I'm very excited. I have a lot of caffeine ready. Before we let (laughs) Jamie describe everything that's going on, why don't you go ahead and give us a shot of saying what you're foreseeing in the future of inventory for you? Oh, well, I have been a diligent little basement doll and I've already been dragging up anything I find. It's just like, oh, is this shoving in the back corner underneath here? So I've been dragging things up and putting them on the shelf. So I'm hoping that I found most of the hidden things. I know for a fact there's 
counters. Three, D100, the big golf ball things that are behind one of the counters where my butt is too fat to actually get in there and I haven't bullied Brian into going back there yet. Um, don't tell her that. Anyway, uh, I am anticipating finding a lot of stuff um, to return my paychecks on because if it's hidden that well, it must be something good. It's like, did somebody three years hide this in anticipation of purchasing it and we just have never found it? Maybe you will find a copy we, of Jumanji. We do have people who they don't have enough money to buy something when they're in the store at that time, so mm-hmm. they hide it in the store where they think they're the only one who's going to find it. And you're like, why is this behind over here? What happened here? <laughs> and we discovered it was a few people that were like, I wanted to make sure it was there when I came back when I got paid next week. And I wanted to make sure it was still there, so they hid it somewhere else in the store. And we find stuff like, what is happening with this over here? So as we talk about this adventure, mm-hmm. this Indiana style, Indiana Jones style adventure for Ariel, mm-hmm. Jamie, why don't you tell us what inventory truly is for you as a as the owner of this? Yeah, well, and so and, and you're you're right. You've never been here for inventory before, but we have um, we have two small storerooms in the basement, and then of course the storeroom where we're sitting right now. And we will drag everything out and we will completely empty those rooms and reorganize the shelving in there. This is our opportunity. And then we count everything and it's required by law, which is why we do it because otherwise it's painful and nobody wants to do it. But uh, it's why you see every store running these um, uh, inventory reduction sales. We need to, and we call, we've got one going right now. Started yesterday, today, and we call it the, we don't want to count this sale. Um, And what happens, the, the, the kind of the financial side of an inventory, the reason why we're required to do it is for the IRS, every year we have to report to them at the beginning of the year we had, let's, I'll make some numbers up. At the beginning of the year, we had $100,000 in inventory. And then we have to count everything at the end of the year. And let's say, for instance, at the end of the year, we have $150,000 in inventory. The IRS takes the position of, if you have $50,000 more of inventory at the end of the year, you must have made some profits during the course of the year, in which case you use that profit to buy more inventory. However, you owe us taxes on those profits that you of that growth. So the $50,000 difference, you owe us taxes at whatever your tax rate is for that growth. And so, That's why all these stores do this uh, inventory reduction sales because um, I end up as a store owner having to pay taxes on that growth even though I do not necessarily have the cash in hand. It's not like the store has cash in hand or, or I'm taking some massive paycheck home with me. No, we're reinvesting into the store but we need to have at least enough cash on hand to pay the IRS for the tax burden of that inventory growth. And so it, it, while I, I make it understand and it makes sense to me why they do that, I get it from a fiscal point of view. Um, it's never a good time paying the government a bunch of taxes. And it's, it's, it's kind of our, our in for living in a civilized society that has features and roads and infrastructure and all the stuff that we do that that make it so people could drive to the store and make it so that um, everything is set up so they could come to the store and do commerce and 
One what? of the many factors that keeps us from falling into a grim, dark society of perpetual war. Yes, I understand. Yeah, and, and or a totalitarian totalitarian ship or something of you will put on the suit of armor and you will march out there like the Cadians or some somebody. Taxes really prevent 40k from coming true. I think that's what we're <laughs> establishing in this podcast. I was just thinking of a red raccoon, grim, dark D and D setting. Honestly, <laughs> the red raccoon faction. Yeah. yeah. So the way that it'll work is luckily our point of sale system actually has a pretty decent method for doing inventory because some of the other ones we've had in the past did not. And so we'll work as a team of two and it'll be like, okay, Ariel and Ryan, you are in charge of inventorying all the dice. And Jesse and Alexis, you're gonna do all the board games and I'll be in the back doing all the paint. Because the little squiggly things like the paint are the worst. They suck so bad at doing the inventory. and so we, have, we will split up in the teams of two and we will count everything and we'll enter everything in the computer system. It takes as much time to reconcile uh, the system at the end where it says, you know, hey, I only found five of this color paint and the system thinks we're supposed to have seven. So where are the other two? So trying to, did we miscount it? Are they missing? What happened? Um, you know, the reconciling that takes as long as the actual counting does. And then when we get done reconciling it, well, one, it makes it nice because um, we almost always find some stuff that we, the system says we have zero and therefore the Red Raccoon website shows uh, zero and nobody could purchase it. And so we find it, we correct it in the system and it magically appears on the website as purchasable for customers. And um, so that's good every year that we find stuff that we can sell. And it's, so there's always a little bit of sadness too because we realize that, okay, maybe some dice got shoplifted along the way, um, which sucks, but it is what it is. And, uh, and then at the end of all the inventory and all the work that goes into it, um, then we have a number and we take a snapshot of that number and then that goes to the accountant and then he does accountant things and then Math says- magic. Yeah, and then he says, you owe the government this much money. That's, that's invariably the end result of that. But along the way, we will rock it out and we will have uh, good music blaring and we will just be, it's usually pretty fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, I usually buy lunch for everybody and, and make sure that if uh, they, you know, everybody's having a good time, as, at least as best of times you can have when you're sitting in a room and just doing nothing but counting dice for eight hours. I see no problem with that. <laughs> and this is why you're a good rhetoric and worker. So yeah. while coming in for the we don't want to count it sale is fantastic, let's talk about some other things that are reasons coming in the store this week, especially the what's on the new hotness. Oh, yeah. So there are some cool, well, there's some really good games in there. There is also some things in there that make me sad right now, too, because there were things that I had purchased um, expecting them to be here in October and so that people, we could sell them for the Christmas holiday season, and they just now showed up. As a, for instance, uh, squishable Christmas trees. Um, they just showed up and perfect timing. Yeah. Or the avocado squishable that's wearing the Santa hat. I don't know. He's, he's stupid cute and he's stupid soft, but I don't know how many people are looking to buy Santa hat wearing avocados in January. So millennials exist. Well, one of them. That's true. So, so you're saying if we got like a toast with a like Merry Christmas beard on it, that would be a complimentary squishable. 
Yeah, no, I'd buy it. I even have avocado shoes. I should have worn them today. They say toast on the heel stripe. They're Converse. They're great. Disappointing. Nevertheless. Yeah. Um, but there's some cool stuff that's that's just finally showed up, though. Yep. Uh, Merchants of the Dark Road. A super big crunchy game from our friends at Elf, Elf Creek Games in Champaign. So they're not too far away from us. Oh, interesting. I actually got to see that. You have it laid out on one of the display tables. It looks fantastic. The premium pieces look amazing. I know. The lanterns are so yes. cool. And I am very... It is one of the few times that I've seen a game in the shop and not just looked past it. I actually picked up the rule book and started reading how yeah. to do it right there in the shop. And it's a big crunchy worker placement economy game buy low sell high um and everybody's playing competing merchants who are trying to buy product and then get that out and take it out and deliver it to the cities where they can sell it for more money and one of the cool features of it is the inventory system looks kind of like it's got like diablo throwback right it does you have to be able to you have a little grid and you've got to be able to make whatever inventory you buy to take out and sell has to fit in your grid i.e fit in your wagon to take it out on the road to sell it. I thought that was so cool when I when they when we unboxed that part. There's also animal companions to help you get from point A to point B, which I believe many people, myself included, will respect. Yes. Uh, I, the only one I've seen is the giant snow bee, which I'm interested to see if that There's is the starting too. point. Oh, okay. We got to learn more about this. Yeah. So, so Merchants of the Dark Road is cool. Um, Streets is one that I am hoping to play very soon. And that's from the same group that made Villagers, and it's a kind of a cool tile-laying economic game um, where you're, um, you're like uh, developers building out a city street infrastructure and you score points based on um, how many workers uh, that you get into each of the buildings as you're building out the streets and stuff, so that looks cool. Um, Star Realms Big Box finally got here. It was something I, I ordered for forever ago. And Star Realms is one of my favorite deck builders. It's it's one of the few times where I favor a sci-fi theme over a fantasy theme. Um, Jeff and I always used to have the argument he likes, from the same company, White Wizard Games, he likes Hero Realms better than Star Realms, but I like Star Realms better. Um, and so the big box finally came out, makes it so that it's everything you need for a four-player game of Star Realms, plus there's enough room for all the various expansions that have come out. And I think I own every expansion for Star Realms. I, I really enjoy playing Star Realms quite a bit. So Speaking of deck builders, I'm sure you're interested in, have you gotten to put G.I. Joe, the deck building game, on the table, which I see on the new hotness? I have not. I haven't I haven't played any of those. They, Renegade released three deck builders. They all kind of got here at the same time. Transformers, G.I. Joe, and Power Rangers, and I have not actually touched a single one of them yet. All the talk of G.I. Joe's and how it's so important to you on this podcast, and look where we are. It's been the holiday season. It's kind of crazy. Oh, you're acting like someone who's gotten <laughs> And then I got sick on top of it. And <laughs> Ariel, yeah. is there anything that's really popping off for you within the new hotness that you have your eye on? Um, always. I try not to look too close. It's like staring into the void but for my bank account. Um, always a fan of the little... Uh, Squishables. I didn't think too much of them, and then I picked one up and it's like, oh no. So, Little Star vs. Oz and Cute, Shadow Dragon, classic. Love that little 4E throwback. But Alice is Missing is actually one I was kind of shocked that we got, because I was like this close to backing on Kickstarter. I was just like, no, you really can't do this. You backed 20 projects. It's been eight months. You can't keep doing this. Now, is that connected to the podcast? 
Oh, I actually wasn't aware of the podcast. I just kind of seen it browsing at 3 a.m. It's just like, ooh, is this another RPG? It's a silent game where you, basically you play via text message. You do, which I thought was really interesting. And it's just like, oh, think of all the antisocial people I know that don't want to talk. (laughs) Oh, you can't get out playing a game with me anymore. Yeah, we actually had it six months ago, probably right before you started working with us. And it sold out instantly. And then we went to get more and couldn't get more. This is finally the reprint of it. Oh, man. I apologize. I was thinking of Alice Isn't Dead, which is one of the Night Vale productions, which if you love scary things, have you ever heard Welcome to Night Vale? Oh, I listened to all the way through the same with like the Magnus Archives and a bunch of the other ones. Gotcha. Archive 81? Yes, I am a little bit through that. It has a little bit more of a comic flavor than I was expecting, but I do like it. Netflix show coming out on what? the 14th of this month. I was shocked. I didn't Can I know. get like a live stream of just all the information you have? I feel like I need this on my feed. <laughs> this so is like I can... my job, so yeah. you could probably subscribe to the podcast. You get a bit I... of it there. Uh, however, uh, it is Alice isn't dead. I feel like it's kind of the same. Alice isn't dead is about a trucker that's looking for their dead wife, but it's very surreal and kind of David Lynchian in a way. And I feel like Alice is missing kind of fits that same realm from what I understand. It's, it's kind of it more... Twin Peaks vibes to me a little bit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Faded Sun, have you got a chance to get into that one at all? I know Jesse's been all about that I one. I have been staring, just making googly eyes at that last uh, box that we have, but I'm just like... Yeah. And then there were some other ones that showed up, like uh, Magical Kitties. We finally got a restock on that one. Magical Kitties saved the day. RPG actually took over in 2021 as the second most popular, second best-selling RPG at Red Raccoon Games. Really? Yeah. Everybody can get behind the idea of an RPG where you play as cats. Not cat people. Cats. Cats themselves. Cats who have magical powers and abilities and they're trying to do everything to keep their humans safe. Which that's a little bit, as a cat owner, that's a little bit of a stretch all by itself of thinking of cats trying to keep me safe as opposed to... But you, they're so tired from doing it all day long that when you see them, they're just like, you know, they're having to take a nap because they are so busy. And I think that the actual product, the movie production of Cats is going to push away cat people for a little while now. I didn't watch it. Did you watch it? I did not, but I watched enough clips to uh, yeah. understand what people were saying. I bit the bullet. I watch it so you don't have to. Please. And honestly, the version that was uh, edited out was probably the best one for entertainment value. It, um... I'm trying to find something nice to say, but my mom said, if you can't say nothing nice, I'll say nothing at all. Um, Well, the quality of the scene was good. Fair enough. Speaking of movies, I did see you have the replica of the eye of, um, I can never pronounce it, from Doctor Strange. Uh, Is it Agamotto? Agamotto, I think it's Eye of Agamotto. Yeah, um, that's part of the Marvel Legends series. And um, it's like high-end movie replica stuff. Um, Star Wars, you would call it the Star Wars Black series. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've kind of gotten some of those things. I just like to have fun things around the store. And if you remember, we had the um, the Infinity Gauntlet. We had um, we've had many helmets, yep. uh, many helmets for uh, the Mandalorian, for Boba Fett, for Vader, for Stormtroopers, for Wedge, for Luke, for uh, Poe Dameron. Uh, Stormbreaker, yeah. Um, Thor's hammer, of course. Uh, Mjolnir. Captain uh, America's shield you've had. Yeah, and just fun things to have around the store that um, sometimes they sit there for forever and then somebody's like, oh my God, I need that in my life. And so this is the most recent release from the Marvel Legends series. 
and it's it's really cool it's full size it comes with the stand that doctor strange found it on in the first doctor strange movie um or you can wear it like a necklace so if you wanted to do a doctor strange cosplay and the time stone comes out if you wanted to remove the time stone too so yeah they really did a very nice job for it and it's this is one of the things that's taking my willpower for this not to end up in my house (laughs) Um, a lot of stuff that I have at the store that ends up there is because I wanted it, but I don't want to bring it home. And then, unfortunately, somebody's like, it'll make me happy. And then I sell it to them and let them take it. And then I invariably need to go and buy new ones and, and replace them. So. That's why the store feels like home to me. It's because really it's your second home where you put all the stuff that Kelly can't see. Well, and there is there is stuff there, too. That There's stuff in the store that is, you know, I wanted to take, like, the, the giant red dragon head, and I wanted to mount it about the fireplace right and Keller's like absolutely not my friends come here too you can't put a, a, a red dragon mounted above the fireplace well if you can't have friends that appreciate a giant red dragon head are they really friends and, well it's at the store right That's and, true. and people don't realize those those dragon heads are all for sale for sale um, not that one but we will special you order you in your own version which um, even some employees didn't realize that, and then Brittany turned around and ordered a red dragon head, and and I think Rhea got a black dragon head. So um, that are going in their game rooms at their houses because they didn't realize we can order those. And it's a long waiting period. It usually takes six months from when we order until we get them. But it's like it's kind of like a Kickstarter or a, a you know I just ordered uh, for myself. Uh, I caved, and they they're doing a high-end replica of the proton pack and i i came i got the replica of the proton pack and the wand i was about to say because i I would double check because they don't always come with the neutrino wand it comes with the wand so i got the wand i did not um they ran out of the the ghost trap i didn't get a ghost trap but but there may or may not be multiple swords on their way to the store Mm, um uh, a childhood favorite movie of mine involving somebody with six figures. And so, Sorry. yeah, yeah, I, Ariel got the look on that yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm... You still not with me? I'm still not with you. My name is Inigo Montoya. Aha! Now you have we're killed the, my father. I thought you said six figures. Oh, fingers, like, fingers. That's someone very rich who's rich and has a sword. Yeah. Um, but no, yes, of course. I, that, I did. I did get on. They're on their way to the store whenever they finalize production on them. But I did get movie replicas of uh, Nigo Montoya and Dread Pirate Robert swords Ooh. that are going to be. They will be mounted on the wall at the store. Did you know there was going to be a sequel to the Princess Bride book, and it never came out? Like it was going to be that uh, Wesley and Buttercup had a baby. Fezzik actually dies saving the baby. Uh, Inigo does become the Dread Pirate Roberts. That was all supposed to happen. I had no idea. Yeah. I did not know that one. The book is really interesting because the book claims it is a kind of a rewriting of somebody else's book that yeah. just did a horrible job. And so, yeah, it was supposed to be Buttercup's baby. Well, yeah, because um, it's the 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 book that goes with the movie. He talks about in the beginning of the book that um, he bought. He remembers the story of the grandfather reading to the to the son was his grandpa reading to him, right at the beginning of the movie. That was his grandpa reading to him, and then he bought this book for his son when his son got sick. You know, much later, his grandfather passed away. 
And he couldn't figure out why his son was never into the story of the Princess Bride. Like, it was he had these fabulous memories of this. And then he sat down to read the book and realized that his grandfather had just edited out all the boring parts of the book. <laughs> it's like a 500-page, like, political treatise on, you know, things that were happening in um, Italy in the, like, the 1600s. And his grandfather just edited out all the boring parts. There's like three pages dedicated just to the trees of the land that they were currently occupying, things like that. Yeah, so his grandfather just skipped all those pages, and he, as a child, never realized that. So then he rewrote it into, this is the story that my grandfather actually told me based on this original book. Yeah, super cool. Well, if you want to look for those things when they come out, you can definitely come down to Red Raccoon in Bloomington, Illinois, and see if they're in, or pre-order them, which there is bonuses to that. However, uh, while they can't do that right now, what can they expect in the next few weeks? What's going to be going on in the store? Oh, man. Other than Um, inventory. Yeah, inventory, uh, we'll we'll get through that one. After inventory... um, so many events coming up. There's a Digimon pre-release. There's a Flesh and Blood pre-release. There's a Magic pre-release. There's a Pokemon pre-release. There is um, the the Taldori campaign book coming out. There is um, um, our next Gamer Night, uh, G-A-Y-M-E-R, is coming up towards the end of the month. I think that's on the 29th. Um, we are setting everything up right now. Brittany and I are planning it that we are going to in, do a um, used board game auction again. We, we've done those in the past, but COVID screwed it up. It should have been in 2020, and we couldn't do it because of COVID. Um, and, but I think we found a piece of software that we're going to do the whole thing online. So we're, we're working towards getting that all set up maybe for the end of February time period. Um, we're working on scheduling out another date for another puzzle tournament. Um, this is further off into March, but we had a guy contact us and he wants to run a Blood Bowl tournament at the store, which we've got a bunch of people that like to play Blood Bowl, but he wants to organize everybody and do a bigger Central Illinois Blood Bowl tournament, like a 32-player Blood Bowl tournament. So we're working on dates and trying to figure that out for March. Um, so that's something cool coming up the, sometime soon as well. We'll go back to February. Um, First Friday of February is one of the biggest First Fridays of them all, which is going to be Tour de Chocolate. Mm. And so all the downtown stores will have chocolate samples or chocolate specials that will be going on. So we're, we're working on plans for that already. So lots of interesting stuff, lots of cool products coming up. Um, February 1st. Um, another a Kickstarter that I'm excited about that we've already we're already working with Underdog Games for trekking through history, be the third game in their trekking the national parks, trekking the world. This will be trekking through history. So I think we're going to work with them on some social media and some in-store stuff before the launch of that one. We might Very see cool. that early. Uh, also, still waiting on Marvel Zombies to launch on Kickstarter. They just released a trailer. We'll be backing that one, of course. Um, still working on a lot of Kickstarter stuff that's coming through the pipeline. It's going to be a fun 2022. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Lots of stuff going on. We, yeah, this is going to be if I survive to the end of this year with all the stuff that's uh, that I'm hoping happens. It'll be. A miracle. I might not have any red left in my hair or beard by the end of it, but it'll be fun. Well, we'll be praying for those miracles to come. But until then, thank you for listening. Uh, Join us in two weeks. 
Thank you so much and keep playing. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.